0: Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Aces with love a stop. Picked up by Gray. She can go coast to coast. There's three. There's two. She's gonna launch from three. Chelsea Gray, four, three. Unbelievable. Unbelievable the TC Martin Show. Jackie's got it. ace has got numbers three on two to Plum for three. KP, bring it up. Boom, shaka, like a like a. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. TC Martin to Bay. She's open for three. She sees it. She's got the bucket. one, two, three times for Bay Bay. Bay. TC Martin and you got that right. he won't change it. Raquanta, Bay Bay Williams.
1: Boom. Oh, this is the greatest show! The ball is in the air! The Las Vegas Aces have won their very first WNBA championship! The doctor is
0: now here. Um, and yes, we are back at the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn, New York for game number four tonight coming your way oh let's see in approximately three hours from now warming it up for you right here the tc martin show broadcasting live from brooklyn and uh game number four tonight the WNBA finals the las vegas aces still one victory away from winning their second consecutive championship and can they get 40 strong minutes tonight we will see all right go jam-packed show coming your way here today from The Barclays Center, a lot of Aces talk, a lot of WNBA on tap here as well. Plus, we'll talk a little NFL college football and more. Trevor Maddich will be joining us like he normally does each and every Wednesday. So he will be joining us then here in Brooklyn, getting ready for game number four of the WNBA finals. Ryan Rucco, who does the lead play-by-play for ESPN with the WNBA as well as the NBA, also does the New York Knicks on the Ness Net uh, YES Network along with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. He We'll stop by, and he will join us. We'll get his take on game number four and this series as well. Holly Rowe will join us as well a little bit later on. The fine sideline reporter for ESPN who does not only the WNBA and NBA games, but uh, college football and basketball as well. Uh As I say to Holly, she has the most frequent flyer miles of anybody that I know. So... uh She will join us uh, today and maybe some other guests uh, as well as we prepare for game number four here in Brooklyn, New York, here at the Barclays Center. And uh, just a a beautiful venue. We've been broadcasting the show all week here. And uh, after uh, tonight's uh, game number four, whether it's a celebration for the Aces, whether we'll see if they'll be popping champagne or not, we will be leaving New York City and heading back home. The big question is, Are we going to be looking at a Game 5 Friday night at the Michelob Arena? Well, we will have to wait and see. But the biggest news, obviously, in this uh, finals within the last 24 to 48 hours is the injury news with the Aces, All-Star Guard, Chelsea Gray, and Kia Stokes, the Aces center slash forward, who's been a a big piece to the defensive puzzle for the Las Vegas Aces since she's been here especially this year when Asia Wilson has received the defensive player of the year the past two seasons and may remember the night that Asia got her trophy a few weeks back at the Michelob Ultra Arena that she brought Kia Stokes out with her because that's how much she meant to you know her defensively and gaining the award so both of those players are out uh, both with foot injuries and um uh, we will uh, hope for the best here uh, tonight but this is nothing new for the Las Vegas Aces when it comes to injuries they've been playing a majority of this season without Candace Parker uh, of course you know Candace only played approximately 15 games uh, this year so they've been uh, without her and of course the Aces have overcome a lot of Adversity uh, over the course of this season, uh, as well, too, on and off the court, and they played exceptionally well. Of course, garnishing the best record in the league this year at thirty-four and six during the regular season, and uh, won the first seven games of their playoff run here. Currently, seven and one. I know they had hoped to maybe run the table and be the first team in WNBA history to go eight and zero, oh, but obviously, with the loss here on Sunday afternoon, that is not the case. But as uh, Chelsea Gray said earlier, she said, "Hey." we've uh, been through this before we've been uh, a person down or two all season long so we are built for this so uh we will see how all of that uh, uh plays out here tonight game number 4 here in brooklyn new york the home of the brooklyn nets and of course the new york uh, liberty as well so got a lot uh, on tap here uh, today to to talk about we'll recap what took place on Sunday, as well as a preview coming your way here three hours from now as Aces take on the Liberty. But I wanted to start the show off today in uh, bringing in the fine play-by-play uh, television side for ESPN, Ryan Rucco, uh, a man who wears so many hats. Uh, it is amazing because you've seen Ryan do NBA games, WNBA games, as well as baseball as far as uh, Major League Baseball with the New York Yankees, and uh, also the Brooklyn Nets on the NBA side. Ryan, it's uh, it's always great to see you, but it's glad to finally get you on the air.
1: Yeah, man, thank you, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm glad to to get to chat with you. I know we always get to cross paths at the arena, but glad to spend a couple minutes with you, man. Absolutely, man. So let's let's uh,
0: first of all, I want to talk about you. You're a native New Yorker, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, and talk about what you're doing right now. It just has to be a total dream come true for you. I mean, to to not only, you know, being in professional broadcasting at a very young age, but to have the dream job of working the NBA, the WNBA,
1: and of course the New York Yankees. Yeah, it definitely is. I, um, when I was at Fordham at WFUV learning, play-by-play and, play and learning how to broadcast. And I fell in love with it instantly. And I had already gone into college knowing that that's what I wanted to do, and it, it was a passion of mine. But when I really fell in love doing it, I thought, you know, I will go anywhere. I'll go anywhere in the world to do this. I really will. Uh, and then I, I got really fortunate that some people in market heard me when I was in college, liked me, wanted to give me opportunities in the area. And so I've been able to stay um, and work locally, both, you know, with the Yankees and then with the Nets and then branching out my national work as well. But for me to get to broadcast games for both those teams, um, for me to get to broadcast events like the one we have tonight, mm-hmm. uh, the women's final four, you know, national NBA games, it's, I just, I love, I always love sports. Mm-hmm. I, I was an athlete growing up and I always thought, okay, if I'm not going to play and I'm not going to coach <laughs> what is the thing that is the closest facsimile to the energy of the game? And yeah. so play-by-play was that. So to get to do it um, and get to feel, you know, those big moments, those championship moments and the rhythm of the game, especially in a sport like basketball where you just, you know, you just right. feel the rhythm. It's it's awesome, man. You know, not many in our business
0: get to have the opportunity uh, I say at an early age, I mean, you're like in your mid thirties and that is fantastic. I mean, yeah. what, it, what is the secret, especially yeah. in a market like this? And I'm sure that you know better than anybody, especially in storied franchises, yeah. you know,
1: like the Yankees. I mean, it, it, it is hard to get that opportunity. What's the secret yeah. for you, man? So I, I, you know, when I was in, when I was in college, I had an internship with the S yes network and oh. my dad would always preach to me work ethic and I just made it a point to be the best intern they've ever had, like and just be voracious with my desire to do any menial task, anything at all, whether it was transcribing tape for hours or running a tape from New York to Connecticut or you know, whatever it might be. And in the midst of that, you know, if people appreciate your work ethic, then they're gonna to want to get to know you a little more, right? And they got to know me and people there, Ashley Figazi, Jared Boschnak to name a couple of that, yes. Got to know me, got to know that I knew the game of baseball, got to know that I was broadcasting at Fordham. And so then they said, hey, would you want to do stats in the booth for half the home games for Michael Kay? I'd never done stats. It's like, I get to be in the booth with Michael Kay. Also, I grew up a diehard Yankee fan. Sure. I'm going to be in the booth with Michael Kay and David Cohn and yeah. Paul O'Neill. Like, are you kidding me? Of course I'll do that. Yes. Um, so I did. And... By, you know, a few games into that year, Michael was like, I want him for every home game. Uh, and then in the course of doing that and excelling at the stats role, the producer and director of the Yankees, at the time it was Kevin Smolin and John Moore, they listened to my games at WFUV. And I was a junior when I first started doing that with them and then a, a senior. And they told their boss, John Filippelli, who's still the president of programming at at YES!, you got to listen to Ryan. He's really good. Hey. And so then he listened. Ended up giving me an opportunity to do some college games for Yes. Then eventually won Nets game. And and, and it kind of grew from there. Yankees scoreboard. Uh, they were just starting to do more programming because it was the new stadium. So they had this brand new scoreboard. So they kind of saw what I was doing, uh, starting to do it Yes, as well as um, uh, kind of getting to know my work ethic a little bit. And they were like, hey, you want to try out for this? And I ended up doing that. One thing kind of, you know, led to another, and, and, it, and it continued to grow. And, and then sort of simultaneously on the ESPN side, there was a, a man named Pete Silverman who listened to my work when I was uh, a junior and senior at Fordham. And he was like, I want to hire you to do updates uh, for ESPN Radio in New York when you graduate. I said, okay, great. <laughs> so just, you know, again, one thing led yeah, to another. And My yeah. whole mentality was if you crack the door open for me, I'll kick it down. Right. And at that time, also, you know, the only choices I really had to make was you know, whatever I wanted to do with my career. I didn't have a family yet. You know, I didn't have a significant other yet. So I was just gobbling up whatever I could. And if it meant working a hundred hours in a week and being in, you know, six different cities, I was fine with that, Mm -hmm. you know? So, one thing led to another and, and eventually it just led to bigger and bigger chances. Great stuff, man. Great story. And yeah. you do a fantastic job. Thank you, man. As well, too. I mean,
0: love watching you, listening to you. And again, you know, when you're in this business, uh, you know, I, we all got, yeah. you know, we looked up to people that were older yeah. than us while we were growing up and we said, wow. And I don't know if there was anybody influential in your life mm-hmm. that you said, Hey, I kind of, want to do that because of him, or you kind of want to emulate him, or you decided to say, hey, you know, I'm going to create my own niche here. But who was that guy that maybe that you would just say, hey, I want to be like him?
1: Yeah, I, I there was a lot of guys. So the reason I started really paying attention to broadcasters, which I did as a kid watching yeah. games, was because my dad and I were just, that was part of what we did watching games together. And, and I'd love a great call. and I, And I noticed how it would make me feel when an announcer punctuated a big moment or brought up something I was wondering as a fan or had a really beautifully narrated recap uh, of a championship season. And I really noticed and paid attention to those moments, and it made me think, hey, I'd love to do that someday. And guys who I listened to and loved and still do were Michael Kay and John Sterling as diehard Yankee fan, Ian Eagle, who's like my brother, big brother now yeah. with Nets. Um, Joe Buck, who I just think is basically immaculate as a play-by-play guy. I loved listening to Mike Patrick. At the time, he was doing NFL for yeah. Yeah. ESPN on, uh, on what was Sunday night then. Correct. Yeah. Um, I loved Mike Patrick. I thought he was just terrific. Um, Marv Albert as well. Al Michaels. You know, and so I would just... Listen to all those guys, another guy who, two guys who I really love listening to on the radio, who ended up becoming friends and helpful in my career as well, Bob Papa doing the Giants and Chris Carino doing the Nets. And so listening to all those guys, you know, you took different things. Like, for what I loved, like, I'd listen to Bob Papa, I'd be like, oh, this is so good. It's like, he had this amazing staccato in his voice where he could, like, the way he'd phrase a play, like... Back to pass, has time, right. moves left, right. under pressure. And you just like felt like you were right. kind of in rhythm with the play. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, I mean, I know I named a lot of guys. And a lot of them who I have relationships with now, yeah. I mean, pretty much you know almost all those. I don't know Al Michaels uh, at all, but and Marv Albert I've only come across a couple times, and he was really nice. But most of those guys have relationships with, yeah. and they've been... Amazing to me in my career, my life as. Oh, and uh, I I forgot one of my favorites, Mike Breen, who also, from the time I was in college, he has been un. Believable to me as a mentor and someone always looking out for me, and and a really good friend now. Those are some pretty good guys to yeah.
0: have on your like say reference list, yes. so to speak. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes. I know. And t- it's to the point that like when you ask that, right? I don't want to forget any because yeah. they've all been influential right? in my career yeah. and in my life. They they mean something to me as a person. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, I'm very lucky that they've they've all, you know, not only been impactful in my career but in my life. All right, you're you're a New York guy. Am I am I
0: sensing a little East Coast bias now? And uh, in these finals at all from you? No, definitely
1: not. <laughs> definitely not because you know you know. No, what's because I know how is.
0: how you feel about the Aces too. Because yeah. you've done many games yeah. uh, in Michelob Ultra Arena, the Mandalay Bay. So of course, I'm uh, just giving you a bad no, time. No, I, I, I appreciate but, it. Yeah, but no. But there's no, a fraction of people of that will, we'll,
1: will say that. Well, you know? I always joke with um because uh and Joe Buck would always talk about this. Mm. Like if you went in your like Twitter mentions, like. I'm going to have people saying that I'm rooting for the aces and I'm going to have people saying that I'm rooting for the liberty, which is why during these finals, I haven't gone on Twitter once and I won't. Uh, there you because go. Because it's my choice whether or not to welcome in. Well, you could have retweeted my liberators. tweet today that you're coming on. I know. On. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just been, teasing I've been, you. If I, I'm you Well, know, we're getting all these like great ratings <laughs> news, I'm not retweeting because I just isolate myself from it. But it is, you know, what's interesting about it is like, I mean, and you know this from doing this as well. Like my only, when I do a game, the only things I care about right. are that we have a great show mm-hmm. and that it's a great game. Right. And I I just, you know, if you get a great game, you don't, I just don't care who wins. Like, I don't want, you know, the things I don't like, I don't like seeing Chelsea Gray get hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like seeing something like that, you know. But as far as who, and so I never root for, like, what I root for is both teams to always be at full strength. You right. know, like, I and I root for games mm-hmm. to be close. Um, so, you know, if a team is down 20, you know, does, do people want the game to get tighter if they're calling it? Of course they do. It becomes more exciting, you know? Um, but other than that, I know. And interestingly, and you know this as well, you cover a league, you end up having relationships all over. So even if you had, let's say you grew up a fan of some team, when you're in the position of being a national announcer and you're already having to be objective, and then you have relationships with people from different teams as well. It's like, like right now I was telling, it's funny. I was telling my, my, one of my friends the other yesterday, I said, you know, I'm happy for the Phillies. And he's like, you're happy for the Phillies. Like we hated the Phillies. Those <laughs> fans were awful to us. And I'm like, yeah, but Rob Thompson, who was with the Yankees forever yeah. is their manager. Kevin Long was with the Yankees yeah. forever as so a hitting coach. I love those guys. They mm-hmm. were great to me yeah. as people. And so you root for them, you know, with the aces, When I have conversations with Chelsea Gray, like she's so wonderful. Her parents, I love them. Asia Wilson could not have a more magnetic personality. She's so generous with us and her time, um, and her insight. Becky Hammond is to me as smart, as organized, as prepared and as giving in our coach meetings Mm -hmm. as any coach I've been around, you know? So, and we're lucky because honestly, the players and people we talked to from both these organizations are so great to us sandy is amazing to talk mm-hmm. with stewie john quell you know it, it, across the board i mean i love talking with kelsey plum mm-hmm. so uh it's it, I, I feel lucky because i um i'm i'm able to just kind of root for them all, all right yeah you want to disclose your uh, mvp vote no, <laughs> I haven't. I, I honestly, all I can say is, over the past four years, yeah. I have voted for both Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart. Okay, I have voted for both of them over the past four years, and um, and I think we're lucky that we have, you know, two young women who are these incredible ambassadors for the league, who. Are not even 30 yet, and Asia obviously a couple of years younger than Stuart, right. and have already won championships, have already won multiple MVPs. It's just incredible uh, that they're seemingly ever evolving players who, like, think about it. Asia was a two time MVP. And she was better this year than ever before. Correct. It, yeah. it, it's incredible. And that's why it, yeah. it,
0: it, it stung a lot of people, especially yeah. in Las Vegas. Yeah, that, I understand. That, that happened. And then when you get a fourth-place vote.
1: Yeah, well, that know. was... Yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, you should've... know what? Thank God that did not shift right. the total numbers right. from her winning or not, because right. that would have been... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was ridiculous enough as it was, yeah. uh, but that would have been a, a travesty. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, I mean, that would make me upset as well because, it's I mean, anyone who knows even the slightest thing about basketball knows that there's nothing viable about placing <laughs> Asia Wilson fourth in anything. So, no, I mean, and, and you know, I, I think that what's exciting is where could these careers go? You know, like Asia Wilson could end up being you know, a five-time MVP and a five-time champion. Yeah. Uh, like Throw Olympic champions
0: yeah. on top of that as well, too, because yeah, she's young medals. enough to, you know, and, another gold medal. you know, maybe, maybe two or even
1: three more in her it, career. Think and, about that. And we know there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of spice when it comes to the rivalry with fans and, you know, are you Team Asia or Team Stewie when it comes yeah. to the MVP? But what I love is those two women have such respect for each other yeah. and they mm-hmm. understand the role their rivalry plays in growing the league and they love that, you know? And so like they obviously have been teammates and won a gold medal together and, um, and they recognize each other's games with great reverence. But I also really appreciate that they both get the importance that they play, not just for their teams, but for the league and for women's basketball and, and kind of see each other as, you know an equally key cog in that puzzle yeah no my sentiment is exact and yeah. I, I i actually talk a lot about
0: that how these two um again there's never any animosity no and, and they're competing at the highest level here in the finals and they've competed against each other before in the finals yeah. in 2020 you know when brianna and, was with uh, uh seattle and there's just never this like trash talking no. there's never animosity there's never a stare down because there's the ultimate respect with both of them and as you know both Talk yeah. to both of them. They're both just genuine human beings. Yes. And I'll take it to the next level, Ryan. And I'm sure you'll agree with me here. We do a lot of different sports yeah. and you don't have that. But in this league, it just seems like for the most part, you've got so many great, genuine, respectable yeah. athletes yeah. that not only, you know, treat the media well, but treat you know each other well, yeah. and you just don't have that type of animosity. At least that's what I notice. Comparisons to NBA, NFL, and even maybe a little bit of Major League Baseball.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I think like you know obviously, you know there are different. You, you have different relationships and access to different athletes in different sports, and you know I I have some amazing relationships with different guys in, in baseball or the NBA. But what I love about WNBA athletes is how global their perspective is about the league and how accessible they are because they know it's part of growing Mm -hmm. the league. And Mm -hmm. they, sure, of course, they have that singular championship focus when it comes to the task at hand, but they're able to somehow have that and also appreciate their larger role. And, And I I just love that, and, and you're right. And th- these women are, and I'm glad brands are catching on as well right. to to what great ambassadors these women are and, and can be uh, for their brands. Um, you know, they're, they're smart, they're accomplished, they're talented, uh, they're thoughtful, they're caring, kind. It really, universally, mm-hmm. across the WNBA, mm-hmm. I mean, you just have amazing women. And just to go back to the MVP thing for one second, one thing I do think, it's so, even though... At times, the conversation could get contentious. It's good for the league to be in a place where that conversation's happening, right? Where people care that much. Like, it's awesome Mm -hmm. that people care that much. Like, they should care that Asia Wilson didn't win win the MVP. They should care that Alyssa Thomas Mm -hmm. didn't win the MVP. They should care last year that Brianna Stewart didn't win the MVP. That's what you want. Mm -hmm. You want the fans Mm -hmm. to emote. You know, that's by definition what fans do, right? Right. What they are. So... I think it's good that we're in a place in the league where we see those debates sort of extending beyond maybe just even niche confines like we used to have. Like we're seeing more broadly those discussions being had, and I think that's great for the overall growth of the sport.
0: Ryan Rucco joins me here at the Barclays Center getting ready for game number four tonight. He'll be on the television call, of course, on ESPN along with Rebecca Lobo does a fantastic job with ESPN. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. When you first got the assignment to do the WNBA, yeah. let's let's face it, there there wasn't a lot of male lead play-by-play announcers at that point in time. How did you view that, and how were you accepted into the league, the community by
1: fans and, and, and your peers? You know, what's interesting is I don't know that I thought about it that much when I— First took the job, I think I was just thinking about you know doing doing a, a great play by play broadcast you know without necessarily having that sort of global view. I was just talking about all the women of this league having of the importance to the league more broadly um, but and i didn 't understand how wonderful this league was, uh, but it did not take me long to realize it, and I think working with Rebecca and Holly helped me. Realize it more quickly because they had obviously been mainstays in this league and the coverage of it for Rebecca playing in it. Um, And then, you know, I think for me, the way I look at TV play-by-play is you're like the score to a movie. And everyone can see the pictures, but you're helping the moments come to life. And so for me, my role is to genuinely and enthusiastically... Tell the stories and amplify the moments of these amazing young women and uh, to do it with journalistic integrity and to do it with uh, a genuine care and and I think that I take that role even more seriously now because I also realize the importance it plays in growing the league and in growing the game um, and and so i i 've always. I think I've always felt accepted in this league because I think people can tell that I genuinely care, you know, and, and if someone genuinely cares about growing your sport and is truly enthusiastic about it, usually you're going to welcome them. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've felt welcomed in really from, from jump. And I think I've appreciated more the importance of my role as I've gone on. You've done quite a few
0: games in Las Vegas at Michelob Ultra Arena whether the final games regular season game yeah. all-star games give me your your take and opinion not only of the building and the atmosphere but the Aces organization as a whole I mean and I, what it's done for the league
1: Yeah I I always talk about this and I talk about Mark Davis who sits right next to our right. broadcast table That's right. how yep. you know the investment he has made in the Las Vegas Aces is Absolutely critical to the growth of the league, and it's and it's forcing everyone else to make the same kind of decisions. You know that practice facility helps motivate other organizations to make those same decisions, right? I, you know it's no coincidence that right now we have Phoenix and Seattle building these beautiful new practice facilities right on the heels of Las Vegas. Not to say well this one came first and this one came second, just to say that when you see it happening around the league, you know, hey, if I want to be as attractive. For free agents, as that place, i got to do this, right? And also, uh, people understanding this moment in time in women's sports and women's basketball. And Mark understood it early. Um, And I think uh, the organization, what Natalie Williams has done as general manager, um, has been absolutely incredible. You know, the way she's brought in talent and kept the talent here. Uh, The way you see how enthusiastic the core stars are of the aces are for this organization okay. right the fact that asia kelsey chelsea um and jackie all want to stay uh and love playing here um i think it's the, what the aces have done has been critical to the growth of the league and the arena is outstanding it, mm-hmm. it, when we used to do so i started my first finals was 2013 mm-hmm. and we used to just hope we'd get good crowds, even, <laughs> right. even in finals games. <laughs> and the place we could always kind of rely on was Target Center. Mm-hmm. The Lynx fans right. were great. Yeah. Um, and when I think about now where I don't even have to wonder about it, and, you know, one of the arenas where we first didn't have to wonder about what kind of crowd we were going to get was Michelob Ultra mm-hmm. because you knew regular season game really even before they got great. You yeah. know, once once kind of yeah. went to Vegas – that team got embraced so quickly and you felt the energy in the arena game in game out not just big games so it's incredible i mean the atmosphere in the two finals games was fantastic but what i think is impressive about games in vegas is the atmosphere for a regular season game feels great yeah. like there's i can't remember the last time i was in that arena and didn't feel like wow yeah. this is awesome <laughs> you know like every game it feels awesome yeah. so it's great. You know, I think what what uh, Mark Davis has done there and, and the resources he's put into it, mm-hmm. I think not only it's great for the Aces organization, but it's great for the league as a whole. Mm-hmm. All right, final thing for
0: you. Talk about your Yankees. I know yeah. It was a rough season. Yeah. what What is the future
1: of uh, this team? What's it going to look like <sighs> next year? What do you think? I don't know. That's a good question. I think that they... You know, I think that what I'm happy about is they're asking, I think, the right questions of their organization. They're asking, hey, why Why are we falling short? You know, why Why haven't we got over the hump? Why are we not developing players? Why are we developing players seemingly for a year and then they fall off the face of the earth? Like, what's going on there? Is there some sort of thread that we can yank and, and, and change the direction of this franchise? Um, and so, and they always do have the financial capabilities of obviously adding significant talent in the offseason I think that makes me encouraged um, about quickly but maybe some of the things organizationally and development wise are going to take a little longer but I feel good about them asking the right questions and then I feel good about Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge and knowing if you it it doesn't take a lot to get this team over the hump when you put those two guys in place in their primes performing the way that they are
0: all right. I don't think I need to ask the next question. Like, who do you think uh, we're going to see here in the World Series? Because we <laughs> both have a rooting interest for the managers, and yeah. uh, you got Rob Thompson, I got Dusty Baker. Yeah. I, I I'm hoping that we get a rematch,
1: right? Yeah. But, that, but... I'm sure. I'm sure Fox <laughs> is hoping that as well. But I I, 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 what do you think? I think it's going to be Texas and Philly. Yeah, I do. I yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, you know texas is on this this run right now uh where they've just been so good and you know houston is resilient and they've certainly shown the ability to win um in all situations in october right Be-
0: best road record too this year yeah, yeah, remember and yeah.
1: so i wouldn't count
0: them out just yet no i'm and not counting them out yeah, definitely but, but not but i know what you're saying yeah, but texas looks uh, yeah. so
1: good and then the phillies i feel like are uh, look like a team of destiny right now yeah. um so I and the way they're mashing, you know, Schwarber and Turner and Harper. I, I see Philly winning that series for sure. The other series, I would pick the Rangers, but with a, a lower, lower degree of, mm-hmm. of confidence, right? Then Philly, right? My friend, great seeing you here. Great talking with
0: you. Yeah. Uh, have a great broadcast, not only uh, tonight and, uh, you know, for our sake on the ACE side, we hope. <laughs> this is it tonight. Well, so that do I don't you do? see you in Friday. You, do you, you guys,
1: <laughs> if you win tonight and you win the championship, do you stay here and party yourself, yeah. or do you get right on the plane? And, no, we, okay. s- we we stay here and
0: party, yeah. and then hopefully it's a repeat of what we did last year in Connecticut. Okay, got it. Yeah. All right. So that's the thing. Well, but again, we, we can't get ahead of ourselves. No, no, there, no. You, no. you gotta get. You got a yeah. game to win. Because yeah, as yeah. you know, this yeah. has been nothing but yeah. a home court series. Yeah, I regular know. season as I know. well as the finals. I know. Is 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 a visiting team going to win a game?
1: It is. I'll be really. You know, tonight's going to be interesting because first game without Chelsea, first game Mm. without Kia. Yeah. But sometimes that first game after, that's the game where everybody gets, you know, they get, they, they play, they play with a little different kind of spirit and they, they have the game of their lives. So I'm really curious to see. Good seeing you, brother. Appreciate you, too. you. Thank you for having me, man. Ryan, good Rucco, luck to your Aces.
0: ESPN. When we come back, Trevor Manich will join us and we'll talk some college football next TC Martin show here live from Brooklyn at the Barclay Center. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physicians.
1: Doesn't sound like the usual mindless, boring chit chat.
0: It's the doctor, TC Martin. Ooh. Wednesday afternoon, getting ready to turn the night here on the East Coast here in Brooklyn, New York at the Barclays Center, getting ready for game number four. Coming your way tonight, WNBA Finals, Aces still in command with a two games to one lead. A victory would give the Aces their second consecutive championship. But... It could be an uphill climb tonight. It's it's been a home team-dominated series. And, of course, the Aces uh, down two starters tonight. Chelsea Gray and Kia Stokes will not play. So... Interesting tale tonight, and of course, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can join me down the dial on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 a.m. and 100.9 FM in Las Vegas. Pre-game show starting at 4.30 as Becky Hammond and Alicia Clark join me, and uh, we'll take you up to that uh, here on uh, our show here today. All right, continuing on here. Let's uh, change the pace a little bit. Thank Ryan Ruco for joining us here courtside, talking a little WNBA, a little Major League Baseball. Now we talk football with our guy, my guy, Trevor Maddich. What's happening, Trev? Mr. TC, I am good, man. How are you doing? I am fair and continued warmer. How's that? How's that? Yeah, I feel like a weatherman here, you know? You know, I mean, in New York City, a trip that you know very well, you take pretty often here. You get to October here, you know, New York can be kind of nice in the 60s, but then it can get cold in a heartbeat, you know? So that's what I'm noticing, my friend.
2: So I guess you're saying it's uh, partly cloudy with the chance of another WNBA championship.
0: There you go. Thank you very much, my friend. I like that. I like the way that sounds. All right, my friend. Let's talk a little bit about what we saw last week in college football, specifically Notre Dame pounding USC. Notre Dame needed that victory big time. <laughs> USC, on the other hand, people could probably say, well, maybe it's not going to hurt Notre Dame. It wasn't a conference loss. Uh, well, you know, that loss to Notre Dame isn't going to hurt them because it wasn't a conference loss. But still, in the big picture, a loss always is harmful if you're talking about getting in the college football playoff. USC showed some vulnerability last week. Give me your thoughts on the game itself, and how concerned are you if you're a Trojan fan?
2: You know, I... I I'm actually kind of encouraged. Okay. From the USC game, yeah, and you know the offense melted down. They had five turnovers. They couldn't protect the quarterback. It was just a just a big meltdown. I don't expect that to happen again going forward. This USC offense is legitimately one of the best in the country. They can protect the quarterback. You know they've got some injuries, but so does everybody else. You know they're well balanced. They can run the ball in addition to throw it. All those things, I, I think this, this was a mulligan for the offense. What impressed me was the defense. Now, Notre Dame scored 48 points, right? So why the defense? Well, included in that 48 was a, a kickoff return for a touchdown, a fumble return for a touchdown, a interception return to the two yard line, another return to the 12 yard line. The defense only, you know, only gave up, um, you know, uh, well, Andre Estime, the the great running back for Notre Dame, had his second lowest yards per carry of the season. And in Notre Dame's uh, nine actual drives—not ones that were like super short because of turnovers and stuff—nine actual drives, they only scored two touchdowns. And so the defense for USC actually stepped up and did a lot better than I expect them to. It was just all the, the extraneous garbage that was going on around them that ended up running up the score. But that's actually a very good thing because if that is a sign that the USADC defense is, is playing better, tackling better, better with their assignments, better with their gap responsibility in the run, then that's going to help them going down the stretch as they face Washington, Oregon, et cetera. And that's what they'll need to do. And that's been the cloud that's hung over this team all season long is whether or not the defense is performing so poorly that it would squander the opportunity that the offense provides. I mean, Notre Dame only had uh, two plays of over 20 yards, just two. And that's unheard of for this USC defense this year, but it means that they were tackling better And they were better with their assignments, so you didn't have guys running free because someone on defense was out of position. So as bad as this was, I'm actually kind of encouraged because I trust the offense to bounce back and the defense actually looked better. Hmm.
0: From a Notre Dame perspective, we know that the uh losses to Ohio State and Louisville really hurt the Irish. Uh narrow loss there, of course, in the Ohio State game, which you know they can blame themselves, probably should have won that game, but now Notre Dame definitely needs to win out. What do you think is, is the focus for Notre Dame or, or you know, as far as do they still have any hope as far as a a college football playoff?
2: No, we we've not seen a two-loss team make the playoff, in the playoff era. Right. Now, next year it'll be different. They go to 12 teams instead right. of four. And so, you know, a lot of teams will still be in it. But Notre Dame, because they're an independent, doesn't have a conference championship race either. So now they're just playing for pride each week. They're playing for the win, and they're playing for a, a, a New year Six Bowl game uh berth, if possible. So that's kind of what they're playing for. Uh They're playing to be a spoiler. And the truth of it is, Ohio State, is the biggest bunch of Notre Dame fans outside of South Bend because the Buckeyes went up there and beat them in South Bend. And if Notre Dame is able to now win out with this win over USC, um, if they're able to win out, make a BCS bowl, et cetera, it makes Ohio state's chances to make the playoff, even if they lose um, to Michigan or Penn State and don't make it to the Big Ten championship game, uh, it makes it more likely because that is one of, that would be then one of the best wins, one of the best wins of the season, one of the best non-conference wins, certainly. So, you know, Ohio State is the one that needs Notre Dame to win even more than Notre Dame does.
0: Caleb Williams, uh, not a great game last week. People think that he's going to be the number one overall draft pick next year in the NFL. Give me your take on on Caleb Williams. Did you see anything last week in the loss to Notre Dame that was somewhat alarming, or or where do you project him still, Trevor, as far as an NFL quarterback?
2: No, I don't think it changes as far as NFL quarterback goes. He's got a lot of Patrick Mahomes in it. In other words, he can make all the throws, he can scramble around, but then he's got that Mahomes magic. Where he can, he can escape that sack in miraculous fashion. He can throw drifting in a weird angle with a weird arm angle and get it accurately to the place he wants us to go anyway. So I, I don't think this Notre Dame game changes anything from that standpoint. One thing that is a little alarming is that. You know, amongst the three interceptions that he threw, uh, were a couple of really bad decisions. I mean, terrible decisions. You know, throwing off his back foot in the general direction of a receiver that had a defender in front of him. It was just, it was just terrible choice, uh, to make those throws but it's the kind of thing that he's, it just wasn't him. It seems like somebody body snatched him and somebody else was in his uniform. Now, if he does that consistently going forward, because he still has to play Washington, Oregon, Utah, UCLA, right? Uh, the, uh, if, if he does that going forward, it makes bad decisions as opposed to just gets beat on a play once in a while. Then you reassess. But for now, uh, I'm not worried about Caleb Lynch from a Heisman standpoint. Uh, this is a real blow to his Heisman chances because I I get the sense that and have over the years that Heisman voters are very reluctant to, to give a Heisman to a player or award it twice. There's only one two time Heisman winner and that's Ohio state's Archie Griffin. And it seems like if you're going to win it twice, that second time you would have to be so overwhelming and so far ahead of the, the next in-line candidate, that they'd really have no choice. And and what Caleb Williams did in having such a terrible game, and he was awful against Notre Dame, he gave Heisman voters an excuse to not give him the Heisman. Mm -hmm. So now the question is, what does everybody else do?
0: Two big-time matchups this weekend as we look at the card. You've got number 7 Penn State traveling to Columbus to take on the Buckeyes. They are number 3 in the country right now. How do you see this game playing out? And we really haven't seen Penn State tested up until now.
2: What do you think? Well, this is this is kind of a fair fight. Um, Penn State has not been tested. You're right about that. And, you know, they've been dominant all the way through. Statistically, these teams are very close. They're the top two statistical teams offensively in the Big Ten in terms of, of yards gained, and in terms of yards allowed. They're two of the top three with Michigan sandwiched in between. I mean, they're, they're just kind of, they're kind of, they're, they're great. I mean, they, they um, are outstanding defending against the pass. What worries me is that while the defense looks super sound and the offensive line and the running game look really, really good, the offense, when you study it, doesn't look terribly dynamic. Drew Aller, a quarterback, has really good stats. But he just doesn't appear to be uh a guy that that's that's like a Caleb Williams or a Michael Penix jr or even a um a Colin McCord of Ohio State. you know he just seems to be just moving along, but then you all of a sudden you look at the numbers and he put up big ones, so that's kind of weird um you know the offense uh the offense just doesn't seem terribly dynamic. They're balanced. That's good, especially going in against Ohio State because Ohio State's offense is not able to run the ball very well right now. They've got you know the three new starters on the offensive line, including both tackles, and they're still trying to find their way at that position group. And then they've got injuries uh, on the in the running back room, and so they're mostly a passing team. But their passing attack has really stepped up and they might get receiver Amika Buka back. He missed last week because of injury. He might, he might be back for this game. We'll see. Um, but you know, this will be a passing attack that's going against the Penn State defense, which has 27 sacks, which leads the Big Ten and is second in the nation to the Texas A&M and in, in getting after the quarterback. And if you weren't dimensional against that, they'll just tee off against you. So. You know, you're trying to find places where these where these these teams are different from one another, right? Now, one thing that is different from last year is the Ohio State defense. Last year, they were one of the worst in the country at giving up uh, plays of 40 or more yards. In other words, they just they they would do great, 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 bam, gouge for a 75-yard touchdown, and this was because they prioritized attacking at the line of scrimmage, and there was nobody left to clean up a mess if if a receiver or a running back broke a tackle and got into the open. This year, they've gone the opposite direction. This year, the Ohio State defense is focused primarily on stopping the big plays. And so they have given up zero plays this year for 40-plus yards. Last year, they gave up 18. and so But they're still doing a really good job. They're giving up more yards, but they're still holding teams to very few points. So when you put all that together – How's it going to shape up when these teams face each other? You know, Ohio State's been tested by Notre Dame. Uh, Penn State hasn't. And just because of that alone, I think the Buckeyes have the edge.
0: All right, Trevor Mass joins us, ESPN college football guru, as I like to say. And, of course, he joins us each and every week and part of our best bets as well on Friday. Tennessee, Alabama in the SEC. Tennessee hanging around uh, up there. Alabama number 11. Uh, I can throw the records out here, Trevor, and they're both very, very good still. But, uh, this is, seems to be a war. It's a battle. We've seen Alabama a lot on the national landscape, on national television, and the book on Alabama is, yep, defense looks pretty rock solid, but still some questions at quarterback. Tennessee, I, I'm not sure a lot of people have, have seen them so far this year, and, I'm just not sure exactly what to make of Tennessee in the couple games that I've watched them. Now they have got to go down to Tuscaloosa and face the Tide. How do you feel about this game?
2: Yeah, Tennessee has regressed to the 1970s. Yeah. I think is what you would say <laughs> yeah. in this one because last year it was a high flying, up tempo offense with Hendon Hooker at quarterback, and they they'd run plays like at 11 second clips. A tackle would be made. They'd run up and snap the next play at 11 seconds sometimes, and it caused defenses to not be ready for the snap in terms of their assignment and their alignment and things like that, and they would just gouge it going over the top, and Hooker could hit it. Joe Milton, at quarterback this year, is not running the offense at as fast a clip, which is one of the reasons he lost the job to Hooker last year partway through the season, and he's not able to hit those deep passes with the same consistency that Hooker did. And so this team is now relying on running the ball and stopping the run. They're, they're the top rushing attack in, um, in the SEC when it comes to yards per game. Now think about that. Tennessee leads the SEC in rushing. Tennessee. (laughs) Passing is okay, but not dominant. And they're, they're, that fact means that the defense has a complementary offense to them. In other words, instead of the Tennessee offense going onto the field and either scoring, or getting off the field within just a couple of minutes, and then the defense is back out there getting worn out. Now the defense sits on the bench and you know has a glass of water, and they're relaxing, and and the opposing offense has fewer drive opportunities because the Tennessee offense is eating up the clock. So it's kind of inadvertently made the defense better. So this is actually kind of a fair fight and kind of an old-school fight because Tennessee is coming into this thing with the thought of beating Alabama, not like they did last year with the big pass, but beating Alabama by just smashing him in the mouth. I'm feeling
0: a Trevor Manich under in this game coming up on Friday's best bets.
2: You know there <laughs> may be, and uh, I'm guessing that if I pick under, I should stay away from that and go with Tennessee plus nine. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how it goes.
0: Utah and USC so USC a couple tough ones back to back you got Notre Dame you got Utah uh, coming up this week Uh, USC is at home in the Coliseum hosting this game but we know the Utes are for real right
2: how do you see this game Trev well this is going to be a a tough place for the USC offense to bounce back because Utah's defense is just playing lights out this might be Kyle uh, Whittingham's best um defense at utah they are they're just fantastic i mean they lead the pac-12 in points allowed and are one of the top in uh in the nation in that and in yards allowed the problem for utah has been the quarterback situation i mean their last last week they did a really good job against a pretty stout cal defense they scored 34 points overall as a team but again, with the, with the backup quarterback, Bryson Barnes was in there. Um, you know, Nate Johnson, uh, wasn't playing. It was Barnes and you're still looking at a, at a backup quarterback. So now all of a sudden you're looking at the USC with a defense that looks resurgent and as good as Barnes might be, and as good as the Utah rushing attack is, and it is good, then the, the defense of, of Utah or excuse me, USC has a chance to rise up and make some things happen here. Um, keep in mind, too, that, that Sioni Vaki, the running back that, you know, had 158 yards last week for, uh, Utah against Cal. Uh, he's not even a running back. He's a defensive back, I believe. Uh, they had to put him in there. They've had some, some issues going on, uh, in running back. So, um, this game to me is going to come down to whether or not y- y- Utah's defense can rise up and limit USC's offense they did last year in the big in the Pac-12 championship game did a great job against Caleb Williams um, this is how this was going to shake out because the truth of it is uh, USC should win this game they should win it because of the massive advantage they have at the combination of quarterback and wide receiver but at the same time you know Utah's defense is the equalizing factor so the question now is is the is the USC defense's improvement that they showed against Notre Dame real, and can they carry it into Utah week? Because if they do, USC should win this.
0: All right, Trevor Mas joins us, ESPN. Final thing for you, Trev, Washington, number five in the country. You mentioned Michael Penix, Jr., phenomenal quarterback. We saw some shades of that years ago when he was at Indiana, was injured first year at Washington, but he has been the Huskies are the Huskies for real here? When I say for real, I mean, are they a college football playoff?
2: Yeah, I think they are because of their offense. I mean, their offense is just, just incredible. And they've shown the ability to win in different ways. I mean, they, they love to throw the ball deep down the field. Arizona took that away by dropping everybody deep. And so I guess the Arizona, they had all kinds of creative plays to, to run the short passing game and the screen game. And there's lots of creativity. Uh, and then against Oregon, it was a combination of the two. But their defense still worries me because from a statistical standpoint and just a standpoint of getting stops, the defense isn't consistent enough. Now, in fairness to the Husky defense, three plays by the defense, I think, won the game for them against Oregon. All three were fourth down and three to go. You know, there was fourth and goal at the three. There was fourth and three at the eight. And then there was a fourth and three about midfield uh, at the end where Washington stopped them, got the ball back and two plays later, scored the winning touchdown. So Washington's defense did rise up in those situations. But from a consistency standpoint, I worry a little bit about their defense. However, the offense is so good that I think this team is a legitimate threat to make the playoff and to make some noise in the playoffs because of the points they can put up against anybody. All right.
0: all right, my man, enjoy the weekend action, and uh, I know you'll be on the radio side on ESPN on Saturday, and uh, we look forward to your best bets coming up on Friday, brother.
2: All right, appreciate it, T.C., thank you, go Asus.
0: You got it, all right, Trevor Manich uh, joins us, talking a little football in a WNBA-dominated show here today, as we are live from the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn, New York, We already talked to Ryan Rucco earlier this hour. Well, next hour, we've got the top two females on the ESPN team coming your way. Our very own Carolyn Peck will be joining us, and then Holly Rowe as well, too, as we break down Aces and Liberty, game number four of the WNBA Finals. Will there be a game five? We'll update you more on the Aces' injury status as well, too. So we've got that and a whole lot more coming your way from Brooklyn right here at the Barclays Center T.C. Martin Show here on a wild Wednesday.